0: Forever. Hey, everyone. Special bonus episode this week uh, that is all about Asian American superheroes. It's a really good listen with some terrific panelists. Please do check it out. Also, check out Sarah Kuhn's Heroin Complex series. You'll really enjoy them. Um, I'm such a fan of Sarah and of these books. Um, Check them out. You can get them from Amazon or your favorite bookseller. All right. Here's the panel. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh yeah!
1: I'm Sarah Gude. I am the author of the Heroin Complex series, uh, which if you don't know, I assume you probably do if you're here, but it is all about Asian American superheroines fighting increasingly ridiculous monsters in San Francisco and bonding with each other and falling in love and doing lots of stuff. And we're here to launch the fifth book in the series, which is Hollywood heroine. And in this one, uh, the two heroines, Evie Tanaka and Annie Cheng, a.k.a. Aveda Jupiter, actually go to L.A. to watch the filming of a TV show that is based on their real lives. They're also vampires. I swear this makes sense if you read the book. Um, and, you know, I also write some other things. Um, I write why romance, like From Little Tokyo with Love, And I wrote uh, a I write comics sometimes and I wrote one uh, with the artist Nicole Gu that I think some of you are probably familiar with. It's called Shadow of the Batgirl. Look at that. And so anyway, to celebrate the launch of this book, you know, it's been uh, five years since the first Heroin Complex book came out. Um, And I thought it would be fun to have this kind of roundtable discussion about the state of the Asian American superheroine with two of my favorites. And so I am going to ask them to introduce themselves. Tell us who you are. I know a lot of people already know. Um, Christina, can we start with you?
0: Oh, hi. Hi, yes. Hi, I'm Christina Strain. I'm a former Marvel comic book colorist. So I have a little bit of a wild tale because I am also currently a TV, film, and comic book writer. So I started out as a colorist for Marvel working on some books like Runaways, which I hope people have read. Um, like my heart. I worked on like 53 issues of it. Uh, I also worked on Spider-Man, Loves Mary Jane, uh, a few issues X-Men, World War Hulks, and Thor, um, Daughters of the Dragon, long list. Then I transitioned into writing and I wrote uh, for TV, I've worked on The Magicians, Shadow and Bone, a show that I can't talk about, another show that I can't talk about. <laughs> I also have a movie on Netflix called uh, Finding Ohana, um, which was uh, really fun. And then I've also written for Marvel Comics, um, written a few things for them. Uh, my favorite being Generation, the, the newest version of Generation X. And that's
1: it. And you also wrote some, uh, Generation X had this, but also in addition, you've written many amazing Jubilee stories, which I think are yes. a great, you know, great element for us to talk about. Yes, Asian-American superhero.
0: Yes. Also, the first thing that I actually wrote for Marvel was a Civil War 2 short about White Fox, which was very fun to do. Um,
2: Ella, how about you? Hi, um, I'm Ella. By the way, really quick, I think I auditioned for Finding Ohana, but <laughs> I thought that was funny because I was like, oh, I think I, I, think I tried to uh, get that role. But anyway... <laughs> Um, I'm Ella, I am a actor and singer songwriter. I'm most recently known for uh, being in the movie called Birds of Prey with Margot Robbie and Ewan McGregor. I play um, the Asian American heroine Cassandra Cain, which was which was so cool. That movie came out in 2020, I think. But yeah, more recently, I've been um, releasing a lot of music. I specifically released a single called Gold with Ruby Obara, and yeah, I'm just working on my music and. yeah
1: awesome. Well, thank you both so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I'm excited about this talk we're gonna have. Um, so first, as befitting uh superheroines, both fictional and real life, um, I wanted to talk some origin stories. I don't mean like you have to go back and be like, I was born in a small town, you know, like not like that. but um I thought, you know, I, I was thinking about sort of what goes into creating, writing, performing,, um, characters that are very specifically Asian-American superheroines. You know, we're not talking about like sort of the generic superheroine, but specifically Asian superheroines. And I was wondering if we could all talk a little bit about how we approach that as artists. And I will talk about that as well. Don't worry, I'm not going to. I didn't set this up just so you guys had to do all the work and I could just like sit back and enjoy myself. Um, But uh, Christina, I think you have, you know, some really interesting experiences with this across the board because it's both comics, it's TV and film. And you have also written both uh, characters like this that are um, your own creations. Yeah. Um, something like Finding Ohana. Um, but you have also written like a lot of, you know, Asian heroines who already existed or um, things like that. So I was wondering if you could just talk about kind of your experiences um, across the board there with how you approach sort of creating and writing and um, just coming up with these specifically
0: Asian-American heroines. Yeah, it's amazing. I think every character that I've ever written that is Asian-American has definitely had a little bit of my own perspective in it. Um, just the quick rundown is I was born and raised in Seoul, South Korea. I uh, My mom's Korean. I lived there till I was 18. And then I moved to the U.S. So my perspective as an Asian American is very like Asian American because I was raised in Korea. Like for me, Squid Game takes me to a nostalgic place from my childhood, which is wild. I'm like, is this what white people feel when they watch stranger things um but like <laughs> it sounds <almost laughs> like you're
1: watching squid game for like comfort which is perhaps not everyone's experience of that show but it's I love it really, for you
0: yeah it is wild I'm like oh this neighborhood the marvel episode I'm like that looks like my harmony's neighborhood like <laughs> I used to play marbles in alleys like that and then like the polky, I'm like I used to eat that everybody's now calling it but when I was growing up it was spooky. so like things like that uh yeah who knew knew? christina's
1: um, gonna be like you guys i have this really like heartwarming like (laughs) comfort show for you all to watch during the holidays (laughs) it's
0: it's the hunger games meets my childhood (laughs) yeah i like yeah i have a very i love that show for very many reasons but I have applied a lot of my background to everything. Like, like I said, the first story that I ever wrote for Marvel was a White Fox story. And it was when my editor pitched it to me, because the character is Korean. He had pitched this idea to me that White Fox and Carol Danvers would kind of have the same viewpoint. And I had a moment where I was like, uh, knowing South Korean history and knowing that South Koreans had no choice in... Korea being divided into two countries, the people in the room that decided that were China, North Korea, and the US. And the US made that decision on the South on South Korea's behalf. Um, I like, you know, that story was informed by that where the, the end of that story is White Fox saying we can take care of ourselves. And she's talking about Koreans. Um, I put a lot of myself into Jubilee. (laughs) That's my favorite character that I've written for Marvel. And like, you know, I grew up reading her as I think a lot of people who read comic, like X-Men comics did, especially if you're an Asian, you know, American, um, that character meant a lot to us in the nineties. So it was really lovely because by the time I got to write her, she had adopted a child. She was a vampire. (laughs) and there were certain experiences that she had that I was able to put my own viewpoint into because like I'm an Asian American woman who has adopted a child and there's and like I grew up with you know uh, uh I grew up with her so I understood her perspective and like I felt like my life was kind of where hers was and then like you know with Finding Ohana That story is about, you know, a Hawaiian girl who was raised in New York, going back to Hawaii and kind of understanding her culture. It's a little bit of a reverse of what I went through, where when I was 18, I moved to the States and I was like, I know what it means to be American. And I got there and I was like, I have no effing clue. Like I had culture shock in a way that I didn't expect. Um, And then like on Shadow and Bone, our main character, Alina, is a half Asian You know, she's a half Asian character, and a ton of me went into that. So, like, I like to think that a lot of the times, what I'm trying to do is I think about the content I didn't have when I was a kid, and I put myself into that so that hopefully people reading it, especially if they're, you know, kids like me, can see that and see a portion of themselves in it and then move forward doing the same. So, that's usually the perspective that I come in with. And the one, and there's a character I created for Marvel that's not a female. he is a half Korean male, uh, queer male X-Men. And like a lot of me and my former editor, Daniel Ketchum, who's an adopted Korean American, like I felt like I was making, (laughs) I was like, I'm going to put you in X-Men and make you half Asian like me. And like, this is our kid. So yeah, (laughs) I I do this frequently. I mean, we all
1: have, um, or I guess I should say the, writer, the writers here all have, you know, our characters that we talk about, like they're our children. Yes. <laughs> um, I think, you know, the creative team for for Cassandra Cain, uh, me and Nicole Gu, the artist, and um, Sarah Miller, our wonderful editor, like I feel like she kind of became our child. And the way that we talked about her was like, very you know like we were this team of aunties sort of like raising her in this book like I think especially when you put yourself into it it becomes so personal it does feel like
0: you know your child on the page it truly does and then whenever you do anything that has a deep effect on them like one of the characters I wrote in Gen X Nature Girl I don't think she had spoken before I wrote her so I wrote her speaking because I was like I'm not gonna write an Asian female character that has no voice that is Wild. So, I had her speak and now, then she had a very specific voice and then after that like I saw her showing up in a bunch of comics and it was great to see that because it was just like that's my baby she's got on other people are the camera but then I'll also get con- people contacting me and being like do you see what they're doing to your character and I'm like well she's not technically mine, but you know
1: you're like she's in college now she's all grown up um, I have to let her go out and see the world um, so yes. Ella I'm interested in your perspective on this because you're kind of coming at it from from, you know, the other side, like Christina and I are sitting in our apartments, like writing all these words for characters to say. And then you actually performed as this character who gets to say those words. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, what that experience has been like for you. And naturally, if you want to talk about what it was like sort of creating Cassandra Kane for the big screen, I know that will be of interest to people, but feel free to talk about, you know, any characters you want, what kind of goes into creating that for you?
2: Yeah, of course. I mean, when performing the role of Cassandra Cain over the four month span that we did shoot, um, I definitely felt this sense of like responsibility um, just because like the Asian American community is, you know, like slowly growing their presence of um, you know, Asian-American superheroines on camera. So I just thought it was really important that I made sure that I did this right. Um, so, I mean, like going into it, I definitely had long, long conversations with Christina Hodgson, the writer, and Kathy Yan, the director, both really badass Asian-American women who I was like so shocked that I was able to work with for my debut film. But yeah, I just... Really wanted to make sure that everything was authentic and felt right for this character because Birds of Prey is such a significant movie in my life and especially in the DC universe. So um I think that putting this character into the media and on screen um, was really important. And I think it's going to definitely help expand the community of Asian American superheroines um, on camera. And I think that it's totally becoming a bigger thing now, um, you know, with like Shang-Chi and internals and all of that. So I was just I was just really excited. And I thought it was just so fun creating a character and a person that people are going to watch. And, you know, like young girls, like young Asian American women can look up to this and see that, oh, hey, there's a character that I could finally relate to and that can look like me and um, someone that I can connect with. So, yeah, that was really important for me.
1: Um, that's so cool. And, you know, also that we can cosplay as because, yes. <laughs> um, you know, like like when I at least when I was younger, it was always, you know, we played like Star Wars or Wonder Woman or, you know, the sort of big things like that. And uh, of course, in Star Wars at the time, it was just the only woman was Prince Leia. The only major woman was Princess Leia. So it would always turn into like, you know, 17 girls being like, I want to be Princess Leia. And I was always disqualified first because <laughs> they were like, well, you're not you don't look like Princess Leia. You would be kind of, you know, this Princess Leia with like this asterisk of like this is Asian Princess Leia. Um, so I love that we have these characters now where it's like, you know, Cassandra Kane is Batgirl. Like Cassandra Kane is like an awesome character in her own right that we can sort of like embody without it being sort of an asterisk or, you know, like, Oh no, you can't, you can't do that. Cause you don't look like that. Um, yeah. I was also curious what that audition was like, um, what, yeah. did, did you have, like, I don't know, like beat people up or like show your, your jewel thieving, like prowess. Like, I was curious what that experience. Yeah. Was like.
2: I mean, honestly, uh, when, the audition process was happening. I didn't even know that it was Cassandra Kane or that it was Batgirl. Um, they just made up like random names and said that here's the storyline. It was kind of like a, a general plot of what was going on in Harley Quinn. Like nobody even knew that it was Harley Quinn, at least for people who are auditioning for Cassandra Kane. Um, But yeah, a lot of the scenes were talking about, you know, this uh, very scrappy um, foster kid who who just wanted like an opportunity and a chance to to be out there. So um, I mean, thinking back, the audition process was like super stressful. Um, But yeah, it was it was really fun. It was like a long one month process where I would go in like every Friday and I would do my scenes and show them what I can do. And we improved a little, and then like, I would leave, they would tell me, and then I would come back. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely stressful, but really a great learning experience too. Cause I got to do chemistry reads with Margo and journey, um, which is something that I will always, you know, keep to, uh, you know, near and dear to my heart. So. That's so awesome.
1: I love hearing what you both have to say about this. I was kind of, you know, thinking about it for myself because it has been five years since the the first, you know, the first heroin came out and certainly there are things that I, I've thought about uh, continuously for all five years, but um, one of those was kind of about, you know, the this. The specificity of the Asian-American superhero and her heroine or, you know, leading character and how there was kind of this moment, you know, near the beginning of that series, particularly when it was being announced, where it was kind of like, am I calling this, you know, this is my ode to just playing superheroes, just, you know, just that. Or am I going to say, you know, this is very specifically about Asian American superheroines? And in the end, I felt like that was actually a very important thing for me to do to identify it that way. Um, because something I sort of discovered, like as I've talked about this book, I've, as I've heard other people talk about their work and all of that, is there is kind of this um, urge sometimes from some writers and creators to say, you know, this character just happens to be X. And what I think they're trying to say with that is this story is not just about race or this story is not just about struggle or this story is kind of not, you know, what we've seen before. And I really have grown to hate that phrase. This character just happens to be X because I think it sets that certain characters are the default, right? Certain characters are normal. Certain characters are just, you know, what we should expect is standard. And, you know, I've said, like, if you decide, if you're writing a book or a show or whatever, and you decide to make your whole cast white, that's still a choice. That is not just happens to be anything. That is a choice you're making. And I think for me, you know, particularly as I was writing the first book, one thing I sort of kept thinking about was, um, yes, this story is not just about race. This story is not just about being Asian. This story is not about, you know, teaching people about racism or whatever. It is, for the most part, you know, the, them having these super heroic antics and bonding and all of that. But their identity certainly still informs all of their experiences. It informs who they are day to day. And, you know, one thing in that first book that a lot of people still bring up to me is um, that the two main characters, Evie and Aveda, you know they become best friends when they're kids because they both have what is called a lunchbox moment they have you know they they are going to a mostly white school in a suburb and which was you know my experience growing up and they're the only two asian kids in class and they both both bring in this food for their snack that the white kids think is gross and it kind of turns into a thing you know a thing to make fun of them about and all of that And, you know, that was something that I was like, okay, I feel like these characters are not characters that just happen to be something. They aren't characters that you can swap out, you know, for white characters. They are very specifically Asian-American women, and that affects how they move through the world. Um, So that is something that I certainly also keep in mind when I'm writing, you know, any characters. But I think especially my Asian-American heroines, I feel uh, very strongly about that specificity.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, the exact correct way to look at it. I mean, the perspective that I come with every time I write an Asian or Asian-American you know, character is I ask myself, you know, like, who is this person and how does their culture and their past inform who they are? Because like, you know, you know how it is. There's not one Asian-American character to cover us all. So we're all going to be different. Like my, again, I grew up in Korea. So my <laughs> identity is very different from like, you know, a half Korean kid who grew up in the States, like we all have different perspectives, but that being said, I think it's, it's silly to just be like, oh yeah, they just happen to be Asian. It's like, well, yeah, how does that inform them? And, you know, like it, cause it does, you're right. It does. Are they adopted? Did they, were they raised here? You know, were they raised overseas? Like what, what, you know, what what flavor of Asian are we talking here? You know, like everybody's different. We all have different perspectives. And like, would you... You know, they just happen to
1: be white. Would you say that? <laughs> no, no one ever says that because it's still, I think, considered, you know, very, very much the default. Um, yes. But you actually touched on something else I wanted to get into. And before we do that, just saying to our lovely viewers, um, if you would like to ask a question, I know sometimes it's weird during the virtual events. People are shy, um, but you just have to put it in the Facebook chat and then Teresa will send it to us. And I will say this is the one instance where. A question is a comment <laughs> because it's in the comments. <laughs> one time, we will let you get away with that. So use it wisely. Um, anyway. Um, the next thing I kind of wanted to talk about kind of going off things that you both were saying about you know Ella you were talking about how you felt some pressure you know having to represent this character knowing that so many people love her knowing that she's important to the Asian American community and Christina you were kind of talking about you know that as well like how not one Asian character can represent for all Asian people because there is so much diversity within our gigantic umbrella identity Um, so something i wanted to kind of talk about was just that you know the sort of unique challenges the pressures of of writing these characters especially as asian american performers and writers and creators and all that um, because, you know, I've talked a lot about how when the first book came out, um, I had certainly something called The Rep Sweats, which is a term coined by my friends, Jenny Yang, Phil Yu, Joanne Lee. And it was basically um, they came up with it when Fresh Off the Boat came out because they were like, we're so excited. But we're also getting that kind of sick feeling where like if this show, if it doesn't go right or if it's not very good or if people don't like it, it goes away there's a chance that, you know, we might not have another Asian led sitcom for another 15 years. Um, so, you know, it gives you this kind of sick feeling. And so I certainly felt like I started to have that from the creator side where I, when my series was announced, you know, when they showed the first um, cover, which is very beautiful, Jason Chan has done um, all of these beautiful covers for the heroin series. Um, you know, when that was revealed, a lot of people were saying to me, I have waited for this my whole life. And I was like, awesome. But also I'm going to throw up now because no one work can sort of serve everyone. You know, I I've talked about this actually in the context of Jubilee because when I was younger, I was a huge X-Men person and I actually didn't like Jubilee. I love Jubilee now. I would say I love Jubilee now, but I think when I was younger, um, I felt like, well, that's not me. You know, I'm not very cheerful. Um, I don't fall very much. I can't shoot fireworks out of my hands. Like, you know, it, I don't wear yellow. Like it felt like sort of like, here's what you get, here's what you have to like, and this is the only thing that you're getting. Um, And so, you know, I certainly know what it's like to be the audience for something and still sort of feeling like this is, but this is, you know, not quite for me because there just aren't as many examples out there. So I was wondering if we could sort of talk about that, that sort of pressure and the challenge and how you kind of deal with that as, as creators and artists.
2: Okay, sure. Um, I mean, it's definitely a little bit of a challenge and I always for sure feel the pressure of, um, not only the fans, but just of, uh, the DC world and community in general. But I think, um, when creating these roles, I again I really try to make it as authentic as I can. Of course, I read Shadow of the Batgirl and I read um a bunch of other comic books when I first found out that I uh that I was going to have the role of Cassandra Kane. But really, I think it's just listening to your gut and persevering and knowing that you have a whole community of Asian Americans and women and my family and friends who can really help me through all of the challenges and pressure, um, even as being a, a young teenage girl, um, you know, going to school and things like that. So I think really with all the pressure in social media and other things like that I've dealt with. I also, sometimes if there's hate comments, I just, you know, tend to not care because at the same time, like we, I really try to persevere and feel that, you know, I, I'm unique and independent and um I have the opportunities to do what I can to make the world a better place. So, yeah. Awesome.
0: Yeah. I've gone through quite a journey with the Rex. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it, Christina. you know it's like you know when you first start you're just like I want to do this you're just excited right because you're like I'm just gonna do this thing and the reality (laughs) of like you understanding your own opinion about like the way you've seen representation done on television starts become more aware like obvious and then you start to worry oh god am I doing this wrong am I gonna offend anybody am I gonna and then you go through this freakout stage and over the last several years, writing—you know, like writing several different um, Asian American and Pacific Islander characters—the thing that I've come to realize and understand is this: I think, personally, the best thing that you can do in terms of like writing representation, however you want to understand that you are writing a character first and ask yourself, Is this a character that I love. Is this a character that I feel is fully fleshed out? Do, like, you know, is this a character that I believe in that I feel like younger me would have loved to see, you know, who am I pleasing with this character? Realistically, the only person I can guarantee to make happy is me. And I have to believe that if I can do that, then like other people will feel the same way that I feel. And that'll be good. And then on top of that, I think the flip side is to also understand that regardless of what you do, no matter how happy you make yourself, there are going to be a, you know, a segment of the population that is upset and that is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. If portions of the Asian American community, like see something that you've created and say, I don't see myself in that, that is okay. They are allowed to be mad at you. They're allowed to be mad at the content because the reality is, is That part is not about you. That part is about the fact that there's not enough representation out there, period. And it's not fair that we all have to kind of like look at whatever character is on, you know, a screen or in a book or in a comic and hope that they're reflective of us because there's just not enough out there. So if you understand those things, I think it makes a big difference because it's like, The anger that is coming is not really about me. It's about the lack of what is out there and it's okay. I'm just going to keep creating. I'm going to keep creating specific characters. They're all different. You know, none of my characters are exactly the same. And hopefully somewhere along the line, you know, I will be able to create more characters that different people see themselves in and we can hopefully make it better for everybody and less of a sort of, you know... I grew up with Margaret Cho and Ki Kwan. I didn't have that many options, guys, you know, so, and they were great and I love them and they made huge differences for me. So all I want to do is create as much content and as many characters as possible so that like later generations of creators are going to create more and we just keep going. So yeah. I
1: mean. Yeah, and I mean I think that um the you know the artist you mentioned like I certainly remember seeing Margaret Cho on TV for the first time as like a suburban child growing up in an almost yep. all white town and just the fact that she was so herself. You know, she was so being herself, even kind of the mold they kind of tried to put her in on the TV show, which kept changing. You know, it it felt like she was being herself. And I I felt like I had never quite seen that before. You know, she's still such an icon, such a legend. Um, And I think she did the thing that that you're talking about as far as what we're hope- what we're all hoping to do, which is to kind of open the door just a little more for the, the people who are coming next, open the door so that those people can also write their experiences and, you know, then everyone can hopefully eventually have whoever their heroine is, whoever that they, you know, they identify with. Um, I think that's kind of the point is just to keep having more. And, you know, the way I've sort of dealt with reps, Swe- I mean, dealt with reps Swe- <laughs> is um, just, I think, having... Having that community, having that community, especially of Asian American creators and and artists and, you know, and also all different women of color who are sort of, you know, we can sort of talk about these things in a very honest way and and talk about where they're coming from and talk about, you know, how how that, like you were saying, how that's sort of coming from a lack of things. Um, And, you know, I, I think for me, what I what I hopefully eventually landed on was also kind of along the lines of what you're what you were both saying as far as just making sure that it's real. So when I create a character who is an Asian, you know, almost, I think pretty much all my my big characters are Asian-American heroines of some kind. Um, I just always try to make sure that she's real. And a lot of times that means that she's messy and has a lot of bad habits and, you know, perhaps some other things I take from my real life. But um, <laughs> I think it's important just to make sure that that, you know, that's kind of the basis of good writing right is to make sure that the character is a fully rounded character
2: yeah and Mm -hmm. i think to look on the bright side too i think and just coming from like a younger perspective being in generation z and stuff i think there are a lot of role models and people that young Asian American women and just women of color can look up to and I think that's really important to have now where we can cosplay uh, a superheroine that we really like and we can feel like we are represented in the community and I think just like going back to Cassandra Kane, I just I thought it was so fun to create a character that everybody could really relate to and making like you said um making someone that isn't necessarily like fully perfect you know like someone who you can feel like you could relate to which is why I really like that sort of um anti-hero character as well um like Harley Quinn and like Cassandra Cain where you you feel like they're not perfect so you can kind of see yourself in them as well so yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I I think Birds of Prey,
1: if, if I had had that movie when I was 12, well, first of all, my parents wouldn't have let me watch it because my mom was very strict about about that R rating. <laughs> very strict. Yeah. I didn't see a lot of movies until much later. But um, that movie, I think, was such a like it was just like, you know, all these different women different in personality, different in identity, different in background, coming together as a team and as a very messy, not perfect team and still, you know, kicking a lot of ass. <laughs> and even just having, the, you know, those elements, like it, the movie was like, so amazing anyway um but even if it hadn't been i felt like just seeing that was so amazing you know it felt like if i had seen that when i was 12 it would have i think really made a difference like it would have really made me see myself as more of you know a main character um so yeah Another thing that um, was kind of touched on that I wanted to get into was, you know, we're talking about sort of the you know, state of the Asian-American superhero is like the clever sounding title I came up with for this. And so I was thinking about, you know, the past five years since my since the first heroine debuted and how things have maybe changed, how they haven't. And, you know, in the latest in Hollywood heroine, um, Evie and Aveda are watching this sort of horribly gone wrong TV show based on their lives. They're watching the production of it. And there's sort of a lot of talk about stereotypes. What is niche? What is considered universal? What is considered four quadrant? Um, White people kind of co-opting the narratives of of people of color. and just all of those things that go into, you know, even now making something that, that puts us at the forefront. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about how maybe we've seen the Asian-American superhero, superheroine leading character um, in pop culture really evolve over the last few years. You know, what, what kind of progress have we seen? What still needs improvement? Like, I don't know, just kind of taking a big picture perspective on that.
0: It's interesting because I think that a lot of things are starting to change the more of us that are creating characters. And I think it, some of that is being expressed in various ways. Something that I find interesting that you said is like you like messy characters. That is a big one for me. My, my least favorite Asian female stereotype is the idea of the perfectly composed like sort of like meek Asian female who gets straight A's and ends up at Harvard. That's like my least favorite stereotype because I am messy as hell. (laughs) I'm just like, I like messy characters. So yeah, it's things like that. And then like, I also don't like the silent Asian female stereotype. Just there's a bunch of various stereotypes that I do think in the last few years, I've seen Asian American creators start to create certain characters or specifically counter to those things. And Sarah, like, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like five years ago, when you first published the first book in the heroine series, you made a comment about how, like, the book was about, you had this realization that you always saw yourself as a sidekick, and you were finally going to write yourself as a main character, and I was, and that has stuck with me for years. I have actually quoted you in the um, magician's room and there's a storyline with Katie in season four that is literally based off of you saying that. So yeah, oh
1: well, I'm totally gonna take credit for that now. <laughs> you um, should go I... on every panel and be like, you know that story in the magicians? That was actually about me. <laughs> I am now taking credit for it. But that's awesome. I mean, I think that also shows that community element, right? Because I feel like for me, a lot of this evolution has been meeting other creators like both of you who are doing things in in this space, you know, and I think like the the significance of that really can't be underestimated. Um, It's just, you know, when when my series came out, uh, C.B. Lee, who's an amazing writer, also had a young adult Asian American hero series, um, which was about, you know, is very different from my heroines, but they're still Asian American superheroes. They still, you know, are fighting evil and they're super and there's powers and there's cool robots. And I just thought how cool that we both have these and that they're so different and that they can kind of appeal to both the, the same audience and completely different audiences. Um, so I love seeing that sort of, you know, even just that like sort of progress as well.
0: Yeah. yeah it's gotta
2: uh. oh no, i I mean, i I just think that you know, we've really like more recently branched out from this sort of stereotypical narrative of being, you know the violin playing straight. a student who doesn't really talk is very quiet and shy. Um, and I think that's really really important, especially for the younger generation, um, of our community to, to kind of look up to these characters. And, um, I mean, even just like, not even just, uh, specifically superheroes or, uh, you know, superheroines, I think even just in pop culture with uh, the music industry, like Olivia Rodrigo, I'm so happy that we have um, a role model who's half Filipino, um, someone who I can relate to, and even just like Saweetie and her, who are also um, my half Panay sisters, I like to consider them. But yeah, I just think it's so cool that we can finally see people that we can connect to. And I think it's important that this continuously happen or this is continuing to happen because obviously we're not done. You know, the the movement hasn't stopped. So I just think it's important that we continue to write our stories and um, make movies and make comic books and different projects that can really, project who we are as people and it's not just like one narrative it's multiple you know
0: yeah yeah and I really want to stress that point in particular like listen I don't care what the industry uh quote-unquote wants write what you feel like you you need and you don't see finding Ohana was such an incredible experience for me because I wrote that I wrote that script in grad school. I literally wrote it because I loved Goonies and I loved Kaikwan. And I never got to see Asian female characters be the, you know, precocious, like lead main character who did all the cool things that little boys were allowed to do, but girls couldn't. So I wrote that script. And when I came out of grad school, and my managers were sending it around. The response that I got from producers was essentially that like, that movie starred three Asian American and Pacific Islander kids and one white kid they they would never be able to find a cast for it so they could never make it like they were just like nobody's gonna make this movie and then Netflix did so (laughs) part of the reason they did was my exec was looking for like an Indiana Jones movie for kids and she's Asian and she was like I want my version of that and so this script existed and she was like this is what I'm looking for and so the movie got made so like don't ever, writing from a place of frustration and need is sometimes good. <laughs> sometimes you get yes. happy out of it.
1: Sometimes yeah. your rage will power you to places you didn't even realize. I mean, I think that's so true. And I, I love what you both said about that. I mean, I would have also died for, I still would, you know, Olivia Rodrigo, like I was so into like, you know, Riot Girls and like all this kind of like, angry, but still really catchy music when I was younger. And she kind of takes me back to that, except I'm like, oh, it's like an Asian girl doing it. That is like the coolest thing ever. Um, And, you know, I also, I, I love the idea that, you know, we had to just keep kind of doing it and also moving beyond what people will tell us the conventional wisdom is, right? Because certainly when I wrote the, the first book in the series before I had an agent, before I had anything, there were a lot of people who wanted to tell me, this is this is not marketable, this is not sellable, this is very niche, um, even after I sold it. And by the way, it was never the people I was actually working with who said this to me. They were all very supportive, but it was you know like, they put um, both of them on the cover. And I remember people saying like, oh, they won't put them on the cover or they'll whitewash them or they won't put them both on the cover or, oh, well, if this gets made into a TV show, like one of them will have to be white. That's just the way it is. And I think that, you know, as a young creative, I had kind of internalized a lot of that. So to be able to then say like, actually, y'all were wrong about all of that, it's um, <laughs> very satisfying. And I think also as we see um, the audience, our younger audience becoming more and more diverse, becoming more, you know, becoming more and more um, wanting of these things that actually represent their experiences. um, I hope that will mean, you know, diversity within the media as well. And I can certainly say that, you know, since I debuted back in 2016, I remember um, just one anecdote that maybe illustrates this is um, I have in this series, this sort of idea that um, these two women were inspired when they were girls by watching the movie, The Heroic Trio, which is an old Hong Kong action movie. And one of the stars is Michelle Yeoh. And I had put this whole thread in, especially the first book about Michelle Yeoh, because Evie, the main character, sort of relates to where she relates to like the, you know, this ending part where she's kind of like letting a a tear fall over her, the the, you know, the one man that she loves and then putting on like a red jumpsuit and going and fighting things. And um, I remember that a lot of people asked me when this first came out, um, did you make that movie up? Did you make that actress up? Did you like, is this a figment of your imagination? And now I feel like at least, you know, people know who Michelle Yo is because we're having kind of, can we call it a yo We're having yes. kind of like, you know, a moment where she is like in every major property in existence. I'm still um, kind of horrified that in 2016. That I, know, would... I know, I know, I know. Christina, we knew, it's okay. Nobody else we knew, but other people did it. Okay, so um, shockingly, we are getting to kind of the end portion of this. So I'm going to look in the chat and maybe take a couple questions and, you know, we can keep talking about some other stuff. But um, okay, so we have one from the amazing author, Rebecca Weatherspoon. Her book came out yesterday, too. You should order all of her Cowboys of California series because guess what? You can use this discount code to order any books you want from the Rip Bodice. So definitely order those, too. She would like to know from all of us, what piece of media or genre would you like to see more Asian women in? Very interesting question. <laughs> All right, I'll give you a minute to think about that. This is like, oh, I, ask I'm me like, like, what book have you read? And I forget that I've ever read a book or that books are things or, you know. Okay, go ahead, Christina.
0: I just want more female-led supernatural creature hunting shows. Just going to say that. That's really my heart. i like, I want to hunt ghosts and supernatural creatures. That's all. That's all I got. Amazing. <laughs> Love it.
2: How about you, Ella? I think like coming of age and rom-com movies as well, because I remember when Lana Condor uh, came out with the To All the Boys I've Loved Before like that was so iconic for me because I saw Lana Condor kissing two guys and just really uh, setting this sort of uh, Molly Ringwald sort of example for all of the young girls out there and the fact that like me and my friends just like can regularly talk about her Um, I, I, I kind of want to see more of that sort of rom-com um scene with the Asian American community. I think that would be really cool to see a lot more of that. And I think, you know, Crazy Rich Asians was such an iconic thing as well. Um, but yeah, I think like a lot of teen and coming of age stuff for um, the younger community of Asian Americans would be really, really cool.
1: Love that. Also big props to Jenny Han for writing those amazing books that got made to, into serious Netflix franchise. Also, there are many other awesome Asian American women writing why rom-com that should all be adapted everywhere. So all the people from Netflix watching this, please option all of those books and make them into amazing movies because Ella would really like that. And so would the rest of us. Um, I think for me, uh, what I would love to see, which isn't exactly a genre or, you know, a kind of media, but it, it sort of goes back to something Christina was talking about earlier, which is, um, I love um, Asian girl dirt bags, like just, like <laughs> um, oh. you know, just these really like messy, like making bad decisions, like not great at life. Like, you know, I think like you were saying earlier, there is kind of a. A stereotype of us that we're so perfect and reserved, and you know, doing everything right, and that is certainly not me. So I would like to see more Asian lady dirt bag representation. That's what like I would Asian like. flea bag, Asian Asian flea bag. Love it. Um, you know, and I think that also speaks to something else that I am uh, fond of talking about, which is I think that um, Asian creators also can take those things that seem like stereotypes because we've seen them in a very flattened way mostly from white creators and making those into really full characters because you know there are a lot of asian girls who play the violin or who got straight A's or you know whatever and they, I feel like haven't seen their experiences accurately represented yet either a lot because that requires someone to write that really full character that I think requires an Asian American woman who has had that experience to write that, that character. Um, so I would love to see more of that as well. Um, you know, the, the sort of moving beyond the stereotype is something I've also thought about a lot because I have this character B, who is the the little sister of the franchise, and um, she has, as you can see, blue and purple hair. And there was a thing uh, a few years ago about the Asian girl hair streak where someone noticed that, you know, a lot of the sort of rebellious Asian girl characters have this like blue or purple hair streak that says like, look, I'm a badass. I'm not (laughs) like those other Asian stereotypes. And then that, so then people started saying, oh, like that's a stereotype because the hair streak is kind of her whole personality. Like it's standing in for her whole personality. But then I feel like it goes to a place where people just see the hair streak and they're like stereotype. And I'm like, okay, this character is the main character in this book. (laughs) Very well-rounded. She has lots of personality traits, not just her hair streaks. Also there are real life Asian girls who have hair streaks. They deserve representation too. So. My Finding <laughs> Ohana
0: director, Jude Wang, has a blue streak and she's very proud of it. And she's like, I know people think it's a stereotype, but I really love it. So, <laughs> but see, that.
1: that's that is so like frustrating, right? Because then <laughs> it leads, you know, like I've also had that conversation with like Asian American women who do martial arts or like stunt women or like, you know, enjoy being athletic. Like, sometimes that's a stereotype. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's just that this has been flattened so much. And I think something like, you know, you mentioned earlier um, the new Kung Fu. Like, I remember just watching that pilot and that opening where it's like three amazing Asian woman characters are, and doing martial arts. I was like, OK, let's go. Let's you know, this feels like we're finally getting a chance to like do martial arts, but I guess not in a stereotypical way. So. Um, okay, we have another question from Winter. Um, Ella, Cassandra Kane was a much different character in Birds of Prey than in the comics. Was that always the case? How did it feel being Harley's apprentice as opposed to being Batman's adopted daughter from the comics?
2: I think the dynamic between Cassandra Kane and Harley versus you know, Cassandra Kane and Batman in the comic books um, is for sure a lot different. I think Cassandra Kane, no matter who her role model is or no matter who she's the apprentice to, I think she's always going to be this very independent and brave um, character who can be a little messy. But in Birds of Prey, um, a lot of the relationships between Harley and um, Cassandra Kane were based off a comic book. I think it was called Blue Eyes with Harley Quinn and her apprentice. Um, but yeah, I think with creating Cassandra Cain's relationship with Harley Quinn, I think a lot of it was taken from a bunch of different comic books and stuff. So it's not fully like the comics. And I know some fans are really upset about that. But really, we tried to make this sort of relationship um, and dynamic between Harley and Cassandra Kane that was really wholesome and sweet and kind of like a big sister, little sister relationship that I think a lot of um, women can relate to, you know, that sisterhood and that feeling of um, having an older sister who, you know, gives you tips on boys and gives you tips on, you know, who to like and who to trust and mean girls and all of that. So, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I I can also like speak a little bit to this as someone who wrote a Cassandra Cain that was a little bit closer to, you know, what we had seen in the comics. It was a different Cassandra Kane because the, the uh, young readers books are in a whole other continuity. You know, it's we can make the characters a little bit different. Um, but um, I felt watching you in that movie, I was just like, this is Cassandra Kane Like this, like the feeling I'm getting from this character is still so Cassandra Kane. And I think the relationship they built with uh, Harley actually reminded me me of a relationship that we had zeroed in on in Shadow of the Batgirl, Girl, which it was the relationship with Barbara Gordon. You know, that was, I, I think, a very sisterly mentor relationship true in birds of prey it's more mentor to like be a better jewel thief <laughs> And in, yeah. in, uh, in like more traditional continuity it's like you know they're trying to help her be like a superhero like Batman right course, yeah. but um I felt like those those elements were very similar those elements like touched my heart a lot because I felt like I could see both that Cassandra Kane that I had I had really you know loved the the comic book Cassandra Kane. And this new version who was also, to me, had the spirit of Cassandra Cain. I I think there's a moment sort of near the end where she's finally... Allowing herself to be vulnerable, you know, and it's because she has actually become close to all these women, especially Harley. And um, I, the, the acting you did at that moment was so amazing because I was like crying, but I was also like, this is Cassandra Kane. And, you know, whenever people had tried to push back a little bit on that, I'm like, no, I will fight you. That is
2: Cassandra Kane in that movie. Honestly, I'm like, I'm so honored that that's your opinion about the character because there's definitely been. Uh, uh, you know, hate comments and different things like that. But I just think that, you know, with Kathy and uh, the writer Christina, we really tried to make it as, um, authentic and related to the comics, but at the same time, more evolved and um, a sort of different take on Cassandra, you know? Yeah.
1: And, you know, we all, the the team behind Shadow of the Batgirl, we also consider that Cassandra Kane to be our child as well. <laughs> you did an excellent job. <laughs> you spend some time with these characters
0: and they genuinely become your
1: kids. Like, yeah. And then you start, like, wondering what they're doing when you're not there. Like, it, it gets very weird. I feel like from the writer's side, it gets very weird
0: sometimes
1: okay so we are sort of running out of time so i'm going to ask one more discussion question and then we'll do sort of our you know where can you where can people find you classic goodbyes, but this is something I wanted to talk about because it ended up being, um, a very key theme in Hollywood heroin. And, um, I guess like the heroin books in particular, you know, we were talking earlier about putting yourself into your work and, you know, how that sort of comes about. And I noticed with all of the heroin books, like when I go back and read them later, they're always about something that I was going through at the time. And it's like not (laughs) something I realized while I'm writing it, but it's always something that I read and I'm like, oh, okay, okay. I'm going to bring this to therapy. You know, it's going to be great. Um, But in this book, I was writing um, an Asian-American superheroine who is extremely burned out and who is kind of in this constant 911 mode. She feels like she has to solve all these problems all by herself. She feels like she can't ask for help. Like, you know, it feels like a very, it feels like what, honestly, a lot of us were going through like the past two years. So, I think that what we as women of color deal with as far as burnout is very specific. It's like this combination of, you know, the regular burnout and then also dealing with microaggressions, macroaggressions, just aggressions, um, all while feeling like, you know, you have to show up, you have to be present, you have to give a thousand percent, you kind of have to be this real life super heroine. Um and it's a lot. So I was wondering if we could all talk about as you know creative types leaving leading creative lives, how do we all deal with burnout? And honestly, part of why I asked this question is because I would like to know the answer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You want to go Ella? (laughs) I mean, I yeah, I don't know. I just like I think Gosh, when I think about like burnout specifically, it's about like school and obviously microaggressions from uh you know media and uh all of that. So I think just like finding creative outlets is something that's really helped me cope with like the stress and anxiety that I've dealt with in the past. Um, and I think, I mean, I've been writing music and writing songs and playing the guitar and like all of these instruments, honestly, since I've been able to talk. So I think it's something that's, uh, really close to me and something that I really love using. Like I a lot of my songs, if you not plugging myself or, you know, shouting myself out, but if you listen to a lot of my music, it's, it has to do with a lot of experiences that I've dealt with in real life. Um, you know, feeling insecure because of social media or not feeling like my body is the right type of body that, you know, people accept. Um, and just writing and, you know, having a different creative outlet, uh, than just, you know, acting or playing in a movie is something that I really love doing. The way you guys talk about how you write about characters that you relate to, and you kind of put yourself into those characters that you write. I kind of feel the same way with like songs that I make. Um, And it's really just fun for me too. And it's, it's sort of a, a break that I, that I love going to and just playing the ukulele on a rainy day is like my kind of day. So yeah.
1: Love it. How about you, Christina?
0: Uh, uh, I have kids, so I don't have the ability to, okay. um, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I have a few different things. Cause like, you know, my first career was coloring. So it used to be that art actually wasn't a means of decompression for me because that's, that was my day job. So interestingly enough, my means of decompressing when I was an artist was to then write web comics and write stories. And that was like my way of being like, if I was frustrated, I had this thing I called spandex fatigue because like, because I grew up in Asia, I grew up reading manga that, you know, which is genre diverse. So when I started working for Marvel and I worked for them for 10 years, about seven years in, I was like, I need something other than superheroes. Like, I need a, I need a break. Um, So writing was kind of a decompression thing for me, along with, you know, consuming television and reading books and consuming media and basically basically letting story wash over me without requiring myself to think of it. But now that I'm a writer, <laughs> writing is no longer decompression for me. It, like, what It is and it isn't like when I'm frustrated with my work, like the, the jobs that I am getting paid to write, like when I find it frustrating, like when I'm dealing with networking sex that I'm annoyed with or whatever, I'm getting notes that are like, these are bad notes and you're actively making things worse. Then I'm like, I'm going to come up with story ideas that I want to write for myself. And once I've decompressed a little, I'll work on that just to kind of get what I want out of it. But right now, to be perfectly honest, the thing I do to decompress is watch, uh, run bts episodes
1: <laughs> i thought you were gonna say squid game
0: <laughs> i mean i like, watch all kinds of tv and i will and i read comics and like i i still that has always been a thing for me like and i do think that that is a way that i do decompress because it allows me to turn my brain off but shockingly during the pandemic genuinely i've become a massive bts fan and right now that's the only thing that makes me super happy so like i'm gonna roll with it and just let it, let it be.
1: No, you go with that. I think anything we discover that helps us or makes us happier refills the well at this point in time, especially
0: is extremely valid. It's so um, funny because it's not even necessarily that it refills the well so much as just allows me to like float on the water and do nothing. <laughs> well, you're
1: you're like floating in your own well, like it, it's like a, re- a relaxing well of, of BTS surrounding you with
0: their yeah. armies yeah, I'm just like, i don't have to think about story i don't have to analyze anything i'm watching because like with squid game i love it but i'll be thinking about the, the historical context in which the yeah. you know the genre is referencing i watch run bts and they're really dumb and rolling on the carpet and i'm just like this is great i'm not thinking about anything
1: <laughs> So my um visual of you now is going to be like what like you refreshing more more roll on the floor more like just refreshing that over like just continuous rolling um but yeah, I mean that both of those are excellent responses. And I think for me I, I have I guess a couple of things I can think of. One is you know, along the lines of what you were just saying, Christina, like I think when um, your creative outlet becomes your work, becomes you know the thing you are making a living at, Sometimes that sucks the joy out of consuming the thing that you used to consume as a fan because, right, you're just like analyzing it. What are these story beats? Where's the act break? Oh, my God. You know, like it kind of turns into more work that you're giving yourself for some reason. And so one thing I have really tried to develop during the pandemic with, I would say, some some success is being able to consume media in a way that where I'm turning off the the writer brain, like I'm sort of trying to reconnect with that. Like, remember when you were a fan and you like read all these books and watched all these shows and you just sort of took joy in them. You just kind of consumed them and enjoyed it. And you didn't, sit there analyzing story structure and you know so that that's an ongoing challenge but that's something I really tried to do because a lot of times that is what brings me joy is like you know just like experiencing someone else's art that they put a lot of time into that's you know so joyful to me I love that Um, and then the other thing is something we kind of talked about before which is you know um, (laughs) this This book, again, like Aveda, the main character, she's having trouble asking for help, even though she has this wonderful, supportive community around her. And so for me, you know, I'm the the kind of person that a lot of times if I am depressed or I'm feeling bad things about my life or my work or whatever, I will sort of withdraw because I'm like, no one wants to hear about that. Like (laughs) people got their own problems. Um, And I really had to learn how to reach out for that, you know, how to like, like, enjoy those communities that I had spent a lot of time, you know, fostering, investing in and, you know, making this kind of beautiful, like togetherness thing among all of us. So I had to, you know, that that's something I really had to do to like work against burnout is learn how to like ask for help, ask for community, ask for, you know, someone to just listen to you vent and then you can listen to them vent. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing, honestly. So um, I think that's something that is also important to living a creative life when you are prone to burnout, as I think most of us are just because of the the nature of all of these businesses and the nature of the world at large Um, is just like, learning how to you know accept help from that community learning how to to you know the pe- know the people that you can rely on and that you can sort of like come to with these things so that you don't you aren't just sort of sitting by yourself sad at home like in your little zoom window you know not not knowing how you're going to continue doing your art um, i think that, that that's very important <laughs> Agree with <laughs> all right. So we are now, I believe, at the end of our time. It always goes so fast. It especially goes fast when I'm talking to two amazing people. So if we could just go around and say again, like anything that you want people to check out, anything you're working on that you wanted people to know about. And then just where the best places to find you on the internet. And Ella, why don't you go first?
2: Yeah, um, you can find me on pretty much every social media platform at Ella J. Bosco. Um, I am also on Spotify and all music platforms as well. I'm coming out with some new music that I'm very excited about. Um, So yeah, you can check me out there and really just social media because I will keep you posted on anything else that is going on. Awesome. How about you, Christina?
0: Uh, For social media, you really can only find me on Twitter because my Instagram is private because I put my kids on there. So So, Christina Strain on Twitter. Um, You can find my stuff. uh, Generation X in comic shops and bookstores on netflix you can watch finding ohana my, my movie my, my ode to goonies uh, shadow and bone is also uh season one we wrote season two and we're gonna be shooting it uh, so look forward to that um, also the magicians is also on netflix it's all on netflix and then uh, for for no reason in particular uh watch cowboy bebop <laughs> reason at all for
1: that Christina just it's it's going to be a great show right that's that's what you're saying it's going to be a really yeah. awesome show. Yeah.
0: yes yes,
1: yes. <laughs> and hashtag starring John Cho will you good job good job Will <laughs> looking yeah. forward to yeah you're short okay. Thank you again for joining us. I am Sarah Kuhn. Um, You can find me on Twitter. It's just my name, Sarah Kuhn. On Instagram, I'm Sarah Kuhn Books because some jerk took Sarah Kuhn. They aren't even using it. Um, That's where you can find me there. My latest book, again, it's Hollywood Heroin. And um, From Little Tokyo With Love also came out earlier this year. But because of how time works, it seems like it was 10 years ago. Um, and my website that probably needs to be updated is heroincomplex.com. That's heroin, like super heroin, not like the drug. <laughs> like, come back and join us. For the last uh, rip bodice goodbyes. We are ready for you.
2: Thank you so much for this really amazing panel. We had such great comments. Everyone loved all the topics that you covered. Um, if anyone tuned in late or. want to watch it all over again it will be archived on facebook immediately after this Um, we will um, have our promo code for another 24 hours that is heroin not like the drugs like the book heroin (laughs) complex hollywood heroin um and thank you so much and everyone have a good night
1: yes thank you Forever
0: this has been a forever dog production executive produced by brett boehm